Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your hosts are Becky Olson and Sharon Hennepin. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family with the resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here are your hosts, Sharon and Becky. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. My name is Becky Olson. I'm a three-time, 21-year survivor of advanced stage breast cancer. I'm also a motivational speaker and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. Hi, and I'm Sharon Hennepin. I'm a 24-year breast cancer survivor, certified life coach, and the author of my upcoming book, Thriving Beyond Cancer. We're also the co-founders of Breast Friends. And, you know, before we get started today on our show, I wanted to just take a minute and talk about hope. You know, sometimes we go through very, very difficult things in our lives, and it is amazing how one thing can turn everything around. Sometimes it turns it around for the negative, and sometimes it turns it around for the positive. And so much of the time it comes to us in in the way of a phone call. I, I know sometimes people, maybe they've struggled with trying to find a job, and it's really been painful the process and then one day boom their phone rings and it's somebody offering them a job that they've really wanted sometimes that phone call comes in the form of of news about our cancer diagnosis maybe that call is not a great call and we get all worked up because we just got some really negative news but perhaps the next call that comes through is going to be somebody with a solution to that news that you received. And I guess I just want to say this because we all encounter things that are very difficult in our lives and it's so easy to give up and to just want to kind of bury our heads and hope it all goes away. But don't ever lose hope because you just never know. It could be that very next phone call or the next person that knocks on your door that can change your life forever. So I just wanted to say that because it just feels right now that there's some challenges coming our direction and we just don't ever want anyone to lose hope. So Sharon, I know you're, you're listening in on this as I, as I digressed from our show for a moment, but here's our show. That's an important, important message for all of us to remember because yeah, you don't ever want to lose hope. Um, that's, that's an important piece of, of this, why we're on the radio every, uh, every week too, is to make sure that we are, um, offering that message of hope to everybody. So I think that was a, a totally you. appropriate, um, uh, message for, for today. Thanks. And now we can get on with our show. So our guest today is Joanne Buzaglo, PhD. She's the Senior Vice President of Research and Training at the Cancer Support Community. And one of their initiatives is the Cancer Experience Registry, which is an online vehicle that engages patients and caregivers to inform future priorities in research, innovative programs, and healthcare policy. And I cannot wait to hear more. So welcome, Dr. Buzaglo. Thanks for joining us on our show today. I'm so glad to be here. I really Good. am. So thank you for inviting Good. me. Good. And I know I called you doctor because you are a PhD. You're one of those brainiacs that has those letters after your name. So is that all right if I call you that? It's okay. But you could also call me Joanne. That would be fine, too. <laughs> okay. Well, that's actually Perfect. easier. It's not quite as, quite as many syllables. <laughs> so I think I'll do that. <laughs> Less likely to get tongue-tied in that process. So we're going to call you Joanne then. Well, Joanne, thanks so much for joining us, and I really can't wait to hear more about what your programs are about, but I do want to mention, because I think it's kind of cool, um, you're the second person I've met just recently who has a radio show or is connected to a radio show on Voice America, and you are connected to the Frankly Speaking About Cancer show. Do you mind just taking a second and talk a little bit about your show, what it is, and what it's what the focus is? Sure. I'm Yes, no, I'm so glad you mentioned that because really our show, frankly speaking about cancer, is an outgrowth of our educational workshops and books and programming at the cancer support community. And it airs every Tuesday afternoon. It's um, right here. And the idea is to empower listeners to live well with cancer. And it's hosted by Kim Thibodeau, our president and CEO. And we invite medical experts, opinion leaders, authors, caregivers, survivors to share information and advice on how to live better with cancer. I mean, some of our most 
popular shows, you know, have been around living, lifting the fog of chemo brain, understanding professional grief, um, cancer and the blame game. Most recently, we did one on treatment decision-making and another one on sexual wellness and fertility after cancer. So the, the beauty of it is that, you know, yeah, they can tune in on Tuesday afternoons or you can go in and uh, click into the podcast. And we're very excited that we're, we're able to reach so many people this way. Our goal is to reach as many cancer patients, survivors, and their loved ones as possible to really help people live as well as they can with the cancer diagnosis. Well, and that's great. It sounds like you guys are, um, I mean, we're doing some very similar kinds of programming. We also have very mm-hmm. special guests, and you are no exception, my dear. So why don't we <laughs> get right in, and let's talk about your role with the cancer support com- community and how you got into that field. So um, I feel very blessed that uh, I get to do what I get to do. I get to lead our research initiative at the cancer support community. And, you know, our mission is to empower patients uh, through support and education and through communities, by creating community, and also through advocacy. And our research is really meant to inform where there are gaps in uh, gaps in care, where do we need to be developing programming, more and evidence-based programming, and how does what we're learning from people impacted by cancer, how can we be learning from patients, survivors, caregivers, so that we can really advise on how to improve the way in which care is delivered in this country. Um, so... The, our research really fits into that broad framework, and um, I got into this field many years ago um, when I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease in, uh, when I was 28, and I was a young adult cancer survivor, which has its own unique challenges. And at that time, prior to that, I was actually a dancer and performer and choreographer, and I had little, I I was sort of thrust into this world of cancer, and even though I had the support of, uh, tremendous support from my family and friends, there was a way in which I was alone um, in the experience because my peers weren't experiencing this. It was, um, and this was back in the late 80s. It was a whole different world. And um, that's what really propelled me uh, into this field. That's when I got involved in psychology. And I really want, this is the the work that I'm doing now is really what I had hoped to do. Um, But I think the the real impetus was to find meaning and connection to others who were going through treatment. And, um, and it's brought me to this place where I um, am meeting so many people with a diverse set of experiences um, around cancer, and it, um, uh, it, just gives me, it, gives, it just gives me ever more meaning every day. I really have to say that. So, um, Can I ask you a you clarifying know, question about something? Um, and sure. I know this is kind of not on the track of what we're talking about, but I'm just curious about it. Can you tell me, please, what is the difference between Hodgkin's lymphoma and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? I've heard those terms, and I've, mm-hmm. I, but I just really don't know what the difference is. And do you mind just taking a minute and tell us what that's about, please? You know, I may not be, I may, I may not be the real expert. Um, I can tell you more about Hodgkin's uh, disease, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Okay. It tends to affect younger patients, younger people. It, it, it's a malignancy of the lymph nodes, and what's interesting about uh, Hodgkin's disease, it has a very typical pattern in which the uh, sort of uh, the cancer spreads to node, to node, to node. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and it's also imminently treatable, and it has been, it was one of the uh, early success stories in cancer treatment. Oh, wow, um, that's good. The... The non-Hodgkin's lymphoma has many different forms. There's an indolent form, and um, and then there's a more acute form. And um, it tends to affect people who are you know or older. Um, 
and that's about as far as I can sort of go with it. It's it's got a different it's got a different trajectory. Um, and so, kind of like breast cancers, uh, there's lots of different kinds of breast cancer, so it's kind of the same sort of thing. in, in that, it sounds like it's like mm-hmm. a lot of different <laughs> types of lymphoma. That's right. That's exactly. That's right. That's right. And so okay. the other, well, the other side of my story is that I'm also I'm also a breast cancer survivor. I've also you know oh. the past five years I was diagnosed diagnosed with breast cancer, and. You know, one of the interesting things about uh, being a cancer survivor is I've now have greater experience <laughs> in what it means to be a cancer survivor, yeah. um, and also being able to see how a, you know a cancer diagnosis affected me. And you know, as I was, you know, a mother, um, I had a profession, a whole different stage of my life than when I was a young adult cancer survivor. And also, I, I have to say, I was able to witness the improvements in care um, and the ability it's really quite remarkable to see how far we've come in you know 25 26 years and um, so again Boy, no that, kidding, all yeah. of that personal it, experience has informed what I do lot. that yeah. makes yeah yeah so, that makes sense and and from yeah. a research perspective you're also seeing that on a day-to-day basis I mean it's crazy the differences that um, that that the whole industry, if you will, is going through, um, you know, with changes in in the types of drugs that that people are getting and and the successes that we're seeing and all sorts of things, which is wonderful. Um, I, I also want to say something too about what you said about advocacy and and even though you know you had a wonderful support system. It's amazing how much advocacy is really needed and, and I've been thrust back into that a little bit myself and, and just understanding how you navigate the system and, you know, how you work with your insurance companies and all of these different things. You really do need to have other people, um, involved that can help, um, that patient get through this system because it is so convoluted. Oof. Boy, it, yeah, it really is. Definitely I, is. Yeah. I, I so think let me ask true. you something, Joanne. What mm-hmm. What are some of the greatest challenges you face in doing your work? And you know, from that point of advocacy all the way through to the reporting, just talk, talk to us about that. Well, you know, I think our greatest our greatest challenges, and I think for all of us, are how do we reach the people who most need to be reached, right? It's how do we reach the people who are isolated? I think about people who are, you know, it's one thing if you're living near a metropolitan area where there's a comprehensive cancer center or even just a good cancer center. Um, There are people who are, you know, living in rural populations who have to travel hours. Um, There are underserved populations who are undereducated and don't have the resources to have access to the best medical care. I think that when I, and I think about doing our work in in research, um, you know, our struggle is getting to those people who are, that we don't usually reach, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think that's all of our struggle. I think that that's something, you know, I, I speak about this all the time. We can do great research, but are but but there's still those people, there's still these pockets of communities and people that we have very little understanding about, and we need to raise awareness about their needs. There's great disparity in the way in which uh, care, in access to care in this country, and so really, how do we understand the needs of you know of so many different communities and people? Well, you so bring true. up a good point. Boy, so boy. how do we do that? You know, it's. That is kind of the the sixty four thousand dollar question. I think is how do we reach those populations? And and to your point, I, even the major hospital chains that are trying to do great work, you know, run, run into that same thing. How do you reach those mm-hmm. people to let them know about services and and you know access? So how do we fix that? Is there a solution? Well, you know. You know, we have to. For example, it's it's these kinds of one way is radio, yeah. <laughs> right? True. Radio shows, Being open and talking right. about it exactly. Right, yeah, talking you know, about it, using as many different channels. You know, um, 
you know, my hope is that someone's out there listening and hearing that this and hearing that there is hope and hearing that there are programs and that there are organizations out there that are equipped to address you know, address your needs, you know. I know I can speak about the cancer support community. You know, we have a helpline um, and people can call and there's someone there who will answer, who's trained, is you know, uh, who's licensed to provide counseling and can talk to you and also identify resources that may be local to you. Um, and then, you know, it's that my hope is that someone out there is hearing that. And, and that reaches out, uh, to, to us because, and, and to other organizations, other advocacy organizations, because, um, that, that is our mission, right? To, mm-hmm. to strengthen patients and provide them opportunities for support and education so that they can better advocate for themselves. That's great. Well, listen, we're going to take a short break and we'll pick this conversation up on the other side because I think there's still just a lot more to talk about in this area. And we do want to hear all about the cancer support community and what they do. And then we will also talk about the registry and how that program works. So, yeah. So stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states. Giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regents Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking to Dr. Joanne Bazaglo, Senior Vice President of research and training uh, at the cancer uh, support community. So it's really great to have you on the the show. And it sounds like the heart of your organization is very similar to Breast Friends in that we want to make this journey a little easier and provide that hope and inspiration and education for for the patients and, and their families as they go through this. So tell us a little bit more about the cancer support community, please. Well, as you said, we really, our mission is to support and uh, educate patients and their families about how to better manage the, uh, the cancer experience from at, at any point along the care continuum. And maybe one of the differences between breast friends and cancer support communities that we're not, we don't only serve breast cancer survivors. We serve all people impacted by all kinds of cancer. And um, we've been doing this since 1982, where right. our legacy organization, which was then called the Wellness Community, it, it was uh, it launched in Los Angeles and Santa Monica. And from its very get-go, it was designed it was supposed to be a place where you can come 
at no cost receive, uh, be part of professionally led support and education programs, be part of community, and where patients and family members are the experts, right, in their experience, and that by sharing their experience and their experiences, that they may be better able to advocate for themselves in the healthcare system, and by doing that, improve their quality of life and perhaps improve their chance for recovery. That's at our very beginning of organization. I think it has really been our mission ever since. In about in 2010, we uh, merged with Gilda uh, with well <laughs> with Gilda's clubs, and people may have mm-hmm. heard of Gilda's clubs because mm-hmm. Gilda Radner. She went to the wellness community, and after she passed away, her family wanted to create something in her, in her name. And, and so there were wellness communities that were forming all over the country and Gilda's clubs, and it just seemed that we were sister organizations. It was time for us to come together. So yeah, to this day, we, now have, we, have, we have over 40 uh, brick-and-mortar facilities we call affiliates that um, provide all kinds of support and education programs and and stress management programs, whether it's yoga or, you know, nutrition classes. But they're all designed to, so that to connect people um, so they're not alone. And yeah. uh, that's so that's, and that you can find out about this on our website at cancersupportcommunity.org. And there, there are always affiliates. There are many affiliates, and my hope is that there be one near someone who uh, is seeking that kind of support or education. We also That's great. we also have a helpline, and we have a uh, educational uh, series, and we interact with people in all kinds of different ways. That's wonderful. So, tell us about the cancer experience registry that caught my attention. Well, it's been a labor of love <laughs> for many years now. Um, but what we understand is that every person impacted by cancer has a unique story and an experience to share. And the Cancer Experience Registry is an online platform that's designed where um, the individual and the collective voices of patients, survivors, and caregivers can be heard. And what we, what ha- what, the way it's designed is that you join online, you know, create a username and password, and then you begin you know, to answer questions about your experience. And when I say your experience, everything related to um, your diagnosis, to um, treatment decision-making with your doctor, doctor-patient communication, how cancer impacts your work-life um, uh, maybe your enemy experience you may have had with clinical trials or not. So we ask a, a, a lot of questions about many different ways in which cancer may be impacting your life. And then we collect that data and we share it broadly. In, in July, we, um, we released our largest uh, data set ever and we shared our findings in a report that we called Insight into the Patient Experience and that's available to anybody. Anyone can get that online if you go to the cancer support community under our research bar and uh, you could download it. But what you'll find there is really uh, a glimpse at some of our findings as it relates to people, the impact of cancer on quality of life. And our, again, our hope is that this is a way that patients, survivors, caregivers, healthcare providers, researchers um, can look at this and relate and understand where their needs. Like, imagine... Um, you're filling out the questionnaire, and you can actually see how other people like you are answering those questions. And um, and you can say, oh, I'm not alone. That person, you know, 80-some people or 80% of people are experiencing so-and-so. Maybe it's fatigue. Maybe it's, uh, you know, financial toxicity, financial burden. And it's a way to my hope is that by seeing that you're not alone, that perhaps you feel more open to talking about it. Maybe you'll bring this up to your doctor or the nurse um, if it's maybe it's about a side effect or something. The hope is that by really sharing these findings that it will encourage people to learn more, to feel more confident in bringing up these issues that may often be um, 
swept under the carpet or not talked about. And, um, and then, of course, we're interacting with, with researchers and uh, people program, developing programs um, to help shape um, uh, innovation, actually, and uh, to understand uh, and really use the patient voice to help direct where some of our efforts go, not just our efforts, but really the cancer communities at large's efforts. Yeah, that that makes sense. And and so Mm -hmm. are you using this data um, to be able to educate the researchers and the and the cancer community in general. I know Becky and I had the opportunity to go to Washington DC um, and talk about the whole mammogram, you know, what they want to do with the, you know, changing of the age of, for mammograms and all of that. And and I remember just doing a a, a kind of a little survey within our patients um, about, you know, their feeling and did they find their own lump or was it found on mammograms and, you know, those kinds of things. And um, so I can imagine this data would be very helpful for, you know, doing those kinds of projects. Absolutely. And our president, uh, Linda House, is very active in, you know, in sort of policy discussions in Washington and elsewhere. Um, and we have a whole policy institute. And this data helps fuel some of these conversations. I think one of our uh, greatest successes actually hasn't taken place in Washington. It took place in Chicago, where we were invited uh, as one of three advocacy organizations to the Commission on Cancer at the American College of Surgeons. And why that's important is about, say, 70, about 70% of uh, patients are seen at, at, um, at, these, at these accredited hospitals, the American College of Surgeons. And, so, and we were involved with helping uh, establish patient-centered standards one of which is to screen for distress, uh, and the other is to have a survivorship care plan. And so in order, so in order for these hospitals to maintain their accreditation, they, they now must be asking patients about what's causing them distress, um, um, do, you know, providing a survivorship care plan. And this is, we've actually used data from the registry to support the adoption of those standards. So That's sometimes great. when we talk about mm-hmm. policy and healthcare change, it's, it's not always on the Hill. It's sometimes right. it's working with professional organizations and really shaping uh, key, the decisions of key stakeholders in the field. Yeah. That makes sense. That really does make sense to be able to um, really uh, bring those groups together, too. So there's actually discussion around these kinds of topics that are so big. I mean, just the quality of life pieces are are really important pieces that uh, you're actually giving the voice to these people who are going through the cancer experience. Exactly. Exactly. Good. Yeah. So what kind of questions um, are you asked when, when, you, um, when, you, when you're putting this we join the information together? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe the, what, what kind of questions aren't you asked? Maybe that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, as I said before, we ask um, all kinds of correct questions related to quality of life, you know, and also doctor-patient interaction, you know, about the quality of communication. Are you being, you know, are you being, how did you learn, how did you learn about your diagnosis? Um, uh, how involved were you in your treatment decision-making process? How prepared did you feel when making a treatment decision? Um, you know, we find a big discrepancy there in our registry participants. You know, we see about 66% of people say that they're feeling prepared, that they feel involved in the treatment decision, but only 22% felt that they were prepared uh, to speak to their doctor about a treatment decision. So we can take that and begin to create really begin to see where the gaps are. More people are getting involved. They feel like they're being involved, but they're not coming prepared or feeling ready to really getting, really um, be engaged in the decision, if that makes sense. 
There's an oh, it does. Yeah. yeah, it makes really good sense. In fact, we had this conversation on one of our recent shows about, you know, sometimes uh, there are a lot of people who do make their own decisions based on options that they're presented. But it's surprising how many people still are not given all the options. And they'll just kind of take the first thing that sort of comes their way and without doing any, any additional research. And it's it really is incredible to me that that you can just kind of be told what to do and not be given those choices. I, it's not that they're not given the choices. They just don't know that there are choices to be made. You know, it's like there's only yeah, one way you to don't do that. You yeah. don't know what yes, you don't know right. a lot of times. It's like, I, yeah. that's, that's one uh-huh. of my favorite sayings. You know, it's, it's a lot of times you have no clue even what questions to ask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you guys are exactly. really putting a new perspective on this, and I really I value that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Sharon, I think you – did you have some other questions you wanted I to ask? I one, one specific one about, you know, because our world is more around breast cancer and even metastatic breast cancer, are there special registries or special conversations for, for um, those, those women who might be going through those kinds of things? So I'm so glad you asked that because we do have a specialty register, what we call a specialty registry, a special place for breast cancer survivors that we, you know, uh, and then we also, because we heard from breast cancer survivors, we have a special registry also for people living with metastatic breast cancer because we understand that there, it's, it's a very, it's a very, there are different challenges. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in living with advanced disease versus living with uh, um, non-metastatic breast cancer. And so we have been able to, we have close to 1,500 people in the registry with non-metastatic, with, with metastatic breast cancer. We have over 5,000 with, um, you know, non-metastatic so we have a we have a lot of participation um, when it comes to breast cancer, and I really attribute that to the to the advocacy community around the breast cancer advocacy community, which is just so strong. And um, we're learning, so we're able to tease apart um, findings from just from those. Uh, from those registries. And indeed, we have special reports that we published in July. And again, I want to make sure everyone who have a chance to see it, if they're interested, they can go onto our website and um, under our research and we, you can find the, uh, the report and, the one, and there are two special reports, pull-out reports around breast cancer and metastatic breast cancer. Great. And, you know, there's you know, some unique you, findings guys- for each. How do you guys define um, metastatic breast cancer? Because I know sometimes it's it's confused with, you know, is it when it's in your lymph nodes or is it always when it's stage four? What how, can you speak to that, please? Because there's still so much confusion around that term. Well, when, we, when we're talking about metastatic breast cancer, we're saying has it metastasized? Has it gone to another um, organ? And um, has it, you know, um, has it? Spread. It really has to do with spread, and um, so I think that's what we're talking about when we're talking about metastatic breast cancer. It's not mm-hmm. contained in the breast. Okay, right. but it's not necessarily in a vital organ, and yet you, but you still call it metastatic mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Just wondering because there's so much confusion around that that topic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, I think the quality of life issue, and whether you're dealing with um, you know, regular breast cancer, if you will, um, mm-hmm. and metastatic disease. I mean, there are some similarities, but there's some very, very different aspects to that as well. And mm-hmm. again, knowing that you may be on some sort of treatment the rest of your life is a whole nother kind of element that that it's wonderful that you have a place that these women can talk and and engage in some honest, um, you know, conversation around these things. That's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of the ways I'm actually looking at our data right now as, as we're talking, and in these reports we have these, uh, these easy infographics, so it's really sort of easy to look at some of the data. But, you know, one of the areas that really that I look at and I see a difference is that the, I'm looking at the social impact. And so what I see is that people 
people with metastatic breast cancer tend to be more isolated yeah. and alone. And, you know, I'm looking at some of these findings. So amongst our, so, so wordy, our non-metastatic breast cancer survivors, we have 50% are saying they're reluctant to ask for help. Whereas in the metastatic group, it's, um, it's 71% are reluctant to mm-hmm. ask for help. Yeah. Um, we have 65% in the metastatic group are really worried about what lies ahead. And, um, and this, the other piece that I'm really sort of hovering around when I look at metastatic breast cancer is that 60% saying they're, they're limiting their contact with friends. Mm-hmm. And... And, yeah, that you know, isolation can be can be devastating too. And uh, whether it's self-imposed because you don't want to be a bar- burden, you know, people end up, you know, giving you that pity look sort of thing. And I, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot, a lot to that um, isolation, whether it's self-imposed or you just don't feel good, so you don't go out as much, or you know, that kind of thing. So there's you know what there's a lot I, I to think- that. You guys, this is a really great conversation, but we need to take a break. So we're going to come back and and pick this up on the other side. Perfect. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states, giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regents Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with Dr. Joanne Bazlago, um, Senior Vice President of Research and Training at the Cancer Support Community. So before the break, um, Joanne, we were talking about like the kind of the uniqueness of um, a metastatic and that isolation that that those women feel. Um, let's let's just touch on that for a moment again. And uh, are there any other things that come up in your in your data that talk about that isolation and why they are are feeling more isolated? Well, there are a number of things that we could think about why that is. A lot of people don't understand metastatic breast cancer. And going back to what we first, what we first brought up at the beginning about the whole theme of hope, um, mm-hmm. I think people don't realize how... Um, the treatment for metastatic breast cancer has changed and how mm-hmm. much more hope there is and how people are living now much longer, long lives with you know, really seeing metastatic breast cancer as a chronic disease. Um, it wasn't that way a number of years ago, but it is now. And I, don't think, I think people, um, you know, family members or friends may be uncomfortable because... Mm-hmm. Um, 
they don't understand that. Um, and and then also, you know, and then there's the other side of it is when you start treating a disease as a chronic disease, it is it's it's a drag. <laughs> it could be a yeah. drag, right? <laughs> it can be. <laughs> and you know, uh, let's just call it for what it is. And 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 people are at great risk for. Uh, for depression, feeling depressed, and and, mm-hmm. and 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 again, I think that can lead to isolation. And I think it's so important that people, you know, that they that people are able to come out of the shadows, and that healthcare providers are asking questions because there's so many things we can do to connect people to other people, so they're not right. so alone. And um, there are there are all kinds of treatments as well. So I feel that you know again, I think my, one of my roles in, at Cancer Support Community is really to raise awareness around these issues so that people don't feel isolated. Good. Well, I'm glad that you're there to do that because I think that is a big, big issue for a lot of women going mm-hmm. through, mm-hmm. Um, especially metastatic cancer. So, um, mm-hmm. and there's some unique concerns I know that some of our breast cancer patients deal with, um, and and that that's around the intimacy piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, can, are you engaging in a lot of conversation around that in the cancer? We are. And we got guidance from advisors because this was an issue that came up in our... We work with advisors, and they really asked us to ask questions around sexuality and intimacy. And I think what's important to just note is that it is... It's, you know, these are issues that are hard to bring up. And uh, when we look at our... our our non-metastatic breast cancer patients, they said that 42% said it had a negative impact on their sexual life. And on the metastatic breast cancer side, it was, it was 60%. And, um, and I think what is important to understand here is that that, again, can lead to estrangement or isolation. That's often, that's, that's linked to poor health outcomes, believe it or not. And yeah. so... There are things, again, these are issues which really can be talked about with appropriate professionals, particularly your healthcare team and your nurse and your doctor, because there are things that can be done and that can improve your quality of life. Again, these findings are meant to raise awareness and help empower people to, you know, to talk about them so that they can get the appropriate uh, care that's available for them. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Becky, what, what was um, on your mind? I know you had some questions, too. I do. Um, you know, this whole thing is just really, really hitting home um, just because of so many things going on that, you know, kind of have come into our worlds. But, um, you know, this whole thing with, I, I kind of want to go back to the isolation thing. I remember mm-hmm. some time ago, many years ago, actually, when, when Sharon and I both worked at the same company, there was a we had a coworker who was diagnosed with um, with a form of cancer, and she got through it, but she did it without being around people. She kind of kept to herself. And then when she went through cancer a second time, I was going to Merrill Hurst University at the time, and I had to do a report. And one of the things I had to do was call and talk to somebody about you know their experience and so I called her and I asked her that question about isolation and actually wasn't even specific to that I just said I have a question for you if you what did you learn the second time that you wish you had known the first time that you went through mm-hmm. cancer Ooh, that's and a she, good question <laughs> and she and she said I wish I hadn't gone through it by myself the first yeah. time mm-hmm. and what had happened mm. is she had told her husband who was there supporting her that she didn't want to talk to anybody she just wanted to not kind of bury her head kind of concept if she buries her head it doesn't exist I guess but mm-hmm. she got depressed and she got very sad about it and and in the second time she didn't do that she made the decision differently the second time she let people in she let people become part of their life and I mean, I know this show is about your program, but I, I don't want that to be kind of left there because I think that it's so much of what we try to teach people is to allow allow people in because this is a hard thing to try to do by yourself. It's a really hard thing to do. And the more people you, I'm not saying you have to let the whole world in, but 
but just letting people in to be there to support you and to, um, you know, to help because we all want to help. We just don't always know how. But when we don't even give them the opportunity, it's it's kind of, in some ways it sounds weird, but it's almost like stealing something from the person who really wants to help because we Well, it's a gift. It that. is a gift to, to allow somebody to help you. It is a gift, I think. And understanding that is, I think, important because you are you are kind of robbing them of that opportunity to step up and, you know, yeah, be, and, our, and our worlds can be so much better than they are when we try to go through this alone. And and even as we talked about earlier, Joanne, you mentioned the communities that are, you know, far away, they're, they're in the rural areas, and they just don't have that access to physical support, perhaps, but but you can still be emotionally connected to people. And I, and if I'm hearing you right, this is kind of a big part of what you guys do with your with your cancer support community is by providing that emotional support because that's different than the registry. The rate you've got a lot of things going on. It sounds like but, oh we've got uh, oh we've got a lot of things going on. We're ambitious, but but yeah. <laughs> but the truth is, I think what's most important, I think, is again all of these, even the registry, but it's. But it really, most importantly, is that no one has to go through this alone. And mm-hmm. there's so many resources out there. Many times it's hard to know how to find those. And yeah. that's where we're here to help, you know. We're here yeah. to help um, and help people get the support that they need so that they can navigate yeah. their care. Yeah, right. that's wonderful. Yeah. So it sounds like we've all got the same heart for the same Absolutely. You know, situation. We do focus, we're not just breast cancer, even though our name is Breast Friends. We do work, work with oh. women with all the all the women's cancers, you know, breast, ovarian, cervical, et cetera. We do all of that. And, and we talked about changing our name, but what the heck, you know, Southwest Airlines flies <laughs> to the Northwest. So, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's just all in, in education at this point. So we exactly. do we do work with women, you know, across all of those um, areas. Mm-hmm. But we don't do a lot. This is why I didn't know much about lymphoma and Hodgkin's versus non-Hodgkin's because we just don't deal, you know, with those things. So, um, mm-hmm. but now let me ask you a couple quick questions. How should patients use the data to improve their own care? And I know we touched on it a little bit, but I have a feeling there's probably more to say about that. Well, um, so I think they can use this information at times to um, encourage them. I actually think sometimes we need support in in uh, talking to our healthcare team, mm-hmm. or even talking to our family members. And when you know, instead of asking for help, I mean, one of the things I highlighted before is that. You know, and breast cancer survivors, 50% are reluctant to ask for help. 71% of metastatic breast cancer are reluctant to ask for help. We also see that a good proportion of people, about 15% or so, are um, don't disclose all of their side effects to their doctors, you know. Really? And so do I, we know why? Yeah. why? Why do they do that? Well, we, we've asked questions about it. You know, one of the... So one of the one of the responses was I, it's because I don't think there's anything they can do for me, right? There's, the doctors don't have yeah. anything that they can do for me. The other thing is we also hear that if I mention I've got too many side effects, they may take me off this treatment, and they don't want to be taken mm-hmm. off treatment. Yeah. And the other suspicion that I have is that, and we hear it, I don't want to bother the doctor, or you want to be a good. <laughs> I know. Like, like, what we're paying? Oh, much. yes, we do. <laughs> Well, you're you right, know? though, because our generation are like that. That's how we were raised. You know, oh, we don't want to bother anybody. You know what I mean? Oh. Yeah. But you're right. That's, that that's I'm sure right. that's a piece of it. Yeah. And, and we do say, love you know, our doctors, and they they do have a lot of yeah. knowledge, and so we do tend to trust them. But it's still our bodies, and if something isn't going right, and just to, as an example of that, I was on. I've been on pretty much every aromatase inhibitor type drug there is, but one of them that they had me on gave me so many side effects. I actually thought I had ovarian cancer because the side effects of this drug are very similar to the symptoms of ovarian cancer. And we were looking at all of them and it's like, oh my gosh. So he did all these scans and checked for everything and there was nothing there. But but what he did is he took me off that drug and put me on a different aromatase inhibitor. Mm -hmm. And I haven't had that impact at all. And yet, you know, some and not every drug hits the same people, but there are options. 
you know, they can take you off this one, put you on a different one. And, you know, so it's always worth mentioning because you know your body better than anyone else. And if you don't tell the doctor there's a problem, he's he or she is not going to figure it out, you know, on their own. They're not right. going to know that there's an issue unless you settle squeaky wheel them. thing, you know, you got to tell them. So, true. so mm-hmm. they're, yeah come come out that way so yeah using it that way is great and then I have another question about what is the smart patients cancer experience forum sounds like something I would like to belong to but I'm not sure I'm smart enough so <laughs> <laughs> you got to be very have smart a few minutes be, only, only smart patients <laughs> no, this, is, this is a um, this is actually a, a new partnership with smart patients smart patients is an online community. And cancer support community has always actually been a real pioneer in online support. Um, and more recently, we're working with smart patients where you can join and uh, join a peer group. Uh, you know, it could be you know, breast cancer, it could be lung cancer, it could be, you know, they've got different groups you can join. And where you can be meeting up with people online and having discussions uh, about your experience. We're working with them uh, because we are sharing some of our findings to uh, foster discussions and conversations and mm-hmm. learn from them and also so that they can learn about the Cancer Experience Registry. So, so that's yeah. a give and take. So that's what that forum is about. It's about okay. being able to send our uh, people who join the registry to uh, a place where they can share ideas. Online. That's Wonderful. great. So can caregivers, we only have about a minute left, but can caregivers join the Smart Patients Cancer Experience Forum, or is it just for the patients? Well, first of all, first and foremost, caregivers can join the Cancer Experience Registry because we okay. embrace the whole family. So care, caregivers, and I want to encourage people, caregivers who are, you know, uh, important to the, to the well-being of the cancer patient, important to their own okay. well-being, can join the Cancer Experience Registry. So, yes, they, okay. they can join. Okay. And then how can people find out more information about the registry and, and join it? Is there a website they can go to? Yes. That's www.cancerexperienceregistry.org. That's pretty simple. Just type in Cancer Experience Registry. Yes. Okay. And um, and also, I would send everyone, any, you can also find out about it at the Cancer Support Community website, which is, there you go, www.cancersupportcommunity.org. <laughs> you guys really kept it simple, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we are believably, uh, believe it or not, we are out of time. This this interview has gone very quick, and that's you know that's the way most of them go because they're always so so good. And we want to thank you so much, Joanne, for joining us today. And we look forward to getting to know a little bit more about what you guys are doing. And we'll kind of tootle around in your website. So we do have to go. We do invite you to look at our website as well, which we keep simple too. It's breastfriends.org. And at the top of the page, there's a big blue button that says donate. If you like this radio show and you would like to see it continue on, we really encourage you to go and hit that big blue button and make a donation in any amount because all of it helps the programs that we do. And whether it's some of our, our online services, our bras and prosthetics, whatever it is, or the radio show, it all helps. And we can't do what we do without you. So just keep in mind, we will be back next week. Until then, remember, there is always hope, and we're here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Sharon Hannafin and Becky Olson again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope and we'll help you find it. We'll talk again next time.